And as Paul has already said as well, it's great to have you here if you're visiting as a guest. You are welcome any week, not simply on a a baptism morning. You're welcome any week, any Sunday. It's great to have you with us. We are um, carrying on through our series looking at the Gospel of Mark. Mark is in the New Testament. It is an account of the ministry of Jesus. It's what we like to do in Jubilee, work through a book from start to finish. So we're working through the book of Mark. Mark is likely to have been the earliest of the four Gospels that you find in the New Testament. And uh, if you haven't got a Bible, don't worry, the words will be on the screen anyway. But we are up to Mark chapter 3, and we're going from verse 7 to 19. But don't worry, if you haven't got a Bible, we'll have the words on the screen for you. Okay, so this is from verse 7. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake, and a large crowd from Galilee followed. When they heard all he was doing, many came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, and Idumea, and the regions across the Jordan, and around Tyre and Sidon. Because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him, to keep the people from crowding him. For he had healed many, so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. Whenever the impure spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. But he gave them strict orders not to tell others about him. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve that he might be with them and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the twelve he appointed. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. To them he gave the name uh, Boanerges, I think I've said that right, Uh, which means sons of thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Well, as I said, Um, earlier on. It's great to have you with us if you're a guest. And I know some of you will have travelled from Teesside to be here this morning. Some of you might have travelled a little further. Um, It's great to have you with us wherever you've come from. Um, I am not originally from Teesside, but I moved to the North East about 16 years ago. And uh, I remember uh, living... um, in uh, Newcastle at the time, up near Luke there and Luke's family, Um, and really only knowing Teesside um, from the view of it I got as I drove over the A19 flyover. And how I saw Teesside really was unfortunately shaped by that view. Chimneys and chemical factories, as far as I could see, from my view from the car. But actually, when I moved here 11 years ago, it was very different. And I was surprised to find that my view of Teesside was totally wrong. There are amazing neighbourhoods, towns, villages, 
all with their own unique sense of place and almost culture and sense of belonging. There are his, there is history. There are there's the seaside. There are hills. I love it. But how I saw Teesside was hindered by where I saw it from. So why do I tell you this? Why do I tell you this story this morning? Well, we're going to be looking at two accounts in Jesus' life this morning. We're going to be looking at two places with two groups of people. One by the lakeside at Galilee with a crowd following Jesus and the other on the mountainside at Galilee with 12 specific people. And you see, how they see Jesus is dependent on where they, where they are encountering him from. So I want to ask you this morning, are you seeing him from the lakeside or the mountainside? Let's start with the lakeside, shall we? If you've been here for the last few weeks, you'll have um, picked up, as we've been working our way through Mark, that um, over the last few chapters, uh, Jesus is starting to come up against um, some grumbling, some opposition from the religious leaders of the day, from some of the religious, religious authorities. He's told a man his sins were forgiven. But they say, only God can do that. He's been having dinner with outcasts and sinners and tax collectors. The tax collectors were um, seen as being collaborators with the Roman authorities. He has healed someone on a day when they say, you shouldn't heal anyone on this day. But the crowds still follow him. The crowds still flock to him. It's a bit like, did anyone turn out to see the Olympic torch coming through their town? Did anyone do that? I know we, we did. We went down to see it, to see the Olympic torch last year coming through. And there was lots of people on. There was, I hadn't seen, really, I hadn't seen the streets like that before, with people lined up um, four or five rows back, kind of watching, looking to see, trying to help the children to see what was going on. The torch is going to come through. It's a little bit like that. So much so that Jesus gets his followers to get a boat ready for him because he doesn't want to be crushed. He doesn't want to be overwhelmed by these people. So he's thinking, if I get in a boat, maybe I can stand, they can stand on the shore. I can kind of just be uh, away a little bit in this boat and I won't be crushed. See, God is at work. But the religious leaders, they miss it. They miss God. They're focused on the wrong thing. Jesus doesn't fit with their man-made views of godliness. And they don't see God at work. But the truth is that we can do the same. We can have our ideas. God would like this type of person. God would love someone who is very respectable. Someone who does good stuff in the community. Someone who tries their best with what they've got. Someone who's trying hard to please God. 
But then we can miss God. Perhaps when we see even people who uh, lined up this morning to be baptised, we can miss it. You know, they weren't looking, they weren't living for God. As you heard even uh, Dan and other stories, they weren't looking for God. We can miss God sometimes. Don't miss God today. Don't allow man-made barriers that you set up to miss God at work. So the crowds are coming to Jesus. And um, people might have flocked to him, actually because he was healing so many people. So many people were being physically healed, physically touched by Jesus. People with disab- we read that people with disabilities were pushing forwards. Uh, people with um, uh, diseases, disabilities, pushing forwards to touch him, hoping that they might be healed. And again, we can really miss something here. Jesus is concerned with people. He's revealing something of the heart of God. See, sometimes we can have a view of God, that God is distant. God is uncaring. God is not interested in my issues, my problems. He's not interested in the lives of human beings. We we can think that perhaps we are sometimes just an, an annoyance to him. A bit like, have you got a teacher, perhaps, if you're at school, who has lost their passion for teaching and really just sees their pupils as a bit of annoyance, really. These pupils keep turning up at my school and I've got to tell them something, but they really just get in the way of me in retirement, perhaps. But a brief view at the New Testament shows us that that is not what God's like. Jesus shows us what God is like. We see him having compassion on the lowly, having compassion on the weak, having compassion on the despised, the are-nots, having compassion on all around, in fact. See, in his own words, Jesus says, I didn't come to be served, but actually to serve and to give my life as a ransom. See, Jesus doesn't just stroke us, doesn't just give us a little bit of life enhancement. He doesn't just help us, I can help you behave a little bit better. Actually, he deals with us at a much deeper spiritual level. So much so that Mark records that Jesus encounters impure or unclean spirits because of what he's doing, because of his encounters with men and women. And we really don't have time to go into all that this morning. But before you just dismiss it as, that's just ancient superstition, let me give you some friendly challenges this morning. Perhaps you say, there, are no spiritual, there is no spiritual dimension to people's problems. Believing that is too simplistic. We're more knowledgeable now. It's, don't you know it's all about social, it's all about psychological factors? That is the root cause of people's problems. Well, actually, perhaps the opposite is true. Perhaps replacing people's problems as simply a set of psychological impulses is too simplistic. 
Perhaps saying all the world's problems are just down to misunderstandings and psychology is too simplistic. Perhaps it's too shallow to acknowledge a spiritual depth to the world's problems. Or maybe you say, well, no one believes that now. Don't you, don't you know that was a first century thing? No one believes it now. Well, actually, that's not true. Many Asian, African, Latin American cultures have no trouble problem believing that there is a spiritual dimension to the problems of this life. So are you saying that only your European Western culture, if you are European and from the West, is right? I'm not saying that just because most of the world believe it, then it must be true. I'm just saying that, do you know, you and I can be blinkered by the culture that we live in. And I know we have to be careful. We don't go around looking for um, impure spirits everywhere. Uh, Everywhere we look, perhaps you've met people like that, you know, uh, the computer breaks. Ah, it's got a demon! Ah. No, do you know, computers will sometimes break because you don't look after them. Uh, Because you, you pour coffee on them or something like that. But the Bible tells us that not only are there real evil spiritual powers, but that because the human race has turned its back on God, they've opened themselves up to all kinds of evil. See, these impure spirits recognize that there was something special about Jesus. You are the Son of God, they cry. See, many people will tell you who they think Jesus is, who they think Jesus was. We run Alpha, and we say on it, actually, you know, there is no question, there's no, you can say what you like on Alpha, come along, and people will say who they think Jesus is, and that's fantastic. It's really great to be able to do that in that context. Some people will say, well, he's just a good teacher. The myth of him being something more than that just developed over time. But actually, the best place to look at who he says he was, is to look at the earliest records of him and to look at the Gospels. And particularly, as we look at the book of Mark, which was likely to be written, scholars would tell you, around 30 years after (coughs) the ministry of Jesus, after his death and resurrection. 30 years after. And obviously Mark here is writing that Jesus is claiming to be more than simply a a good rabbi, simply more than a teacher, but the Son of God. Thirty years after, there would have been still people, perhaps, who had heard Jesus, who had been around at the time, who would have said, no, no, if... They could have easily have said, no, no, that's rubbish. He never said that. He never said that. That's rubbish. But they didn't. It wasn't a a myth that developed over a few hundred years. See, the crowds saw something significant in Jesus. The impure spirits saw something significant in Jesus. See, everyone who stood up and lined up here and was baptised, they have seen something significant in Jesus. They've encountered more than simply a good teacher who died 2,000 years ago. How about you? How about you? Have you seen more? Have you seen 
Jesus. So, from the lakeside, let's move to the mountainside. Perhaps, perhaps Jesus moved up to the mountainside, perhaps just for a moment, to be away from the crowds. And uh, he chose 12 followers to be his close companions. And it's really important to see, he hasn't chosen the most educated, the most talented, he hasn't scoured for the most successful. He's chosen normal people. Normal guys with normal jobs. Fishermen, tax collectors, with normal families. Maybe some of them had wives and kids. They, they spent time where other guys spend time. Perhaps these were the kind of guys. They went to the pub, they went to the match, they went to the gym, they hung around where guys hang out. This is not the elite. These are guys with nicknames. They're guys. They're normal guys. You know, we... Nicknames show such a, a, a closeness. If you, if you have... If you have a group of friends and they, and they have nicknames for one another, there's, there's a real sense of just kind of closeness amongst them when they call each other names. I remember at being a student. We had three Simons who lived in our first year. And uh, there, was, uh, there was Big Si. There was Big Si. And there was Little Si. That was me, because I was short and runty. So there's Big Si and there's Little Si. And then there was just Simon. And that's not because we didn't like him. It's just because actually he wasn't... He, we, we, didn't, we didn't really hang out. He wasn't part of our, our friendship group. And so he was just Simon. But actually, uh, big sign, little sign. Actually, no, they're friends. But there's a closeness. We have nicknames for one another. So what have we got here? Si- we've got Simon, who, who Jesus calls Peter. Rocky. Or the rock. Rocky one. James and John, sons of thunder, they're called. Perhaps they've got a bit of an edge to them. Perhaps you want them out with you if you're out on a late night, a dark night. I don't know. Simon the zealot, perhaps because of his political views. These are normal guys, but they've been given purpose and they've been given mission. And now they've become involved in what God's doing in the world. See, God calls normal people. He calls you and I. He's not thinking, if I need to make a difference on this earth, I need to find the most experienced, the most well-educated, the most outstanding men and women. Why not? Because he doesn't need us. But he chooses us. And he wants us. Because these are just normal people. See, what was it that made these 12 normal guys respond to Jesus in a way that the crowd by the lakeside didn't? See, history tells us that of these 12, um, with the exception of Judas, um, almost all of them were likely to have died for their faith, put to death for what they believed. What made them give up their their very lives for Jesus. What, what made them, like Mehdi said, as he stood here and said, 
I don't just want to give God a, a little bit of my life. I, I want to give him a whole life. I want him to be my, I want him to be my whole life. What made these 12 guys? So I want him to be my whole life. It was being witnesses to Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Understanding what that truly meant. Which is this, and actually we've seen it symbolically acted almost for us this morning as people have been baptised. See, we can say, okay, I, I know I'm not, okay, I know I'm not a super special person. I know, God's, I know God's not particularly after super special people. But really, you don't know what I'm like. Really, you, you don't know what I've done. I've done some terrible things, you might think. I've, I've done, I've turned my back on God. I've said some bad things. I've done some bad things. I'm proud. I'm selfish. There's a real barrier between me and God. The Bible calls that barrier sin. It has a word for it. And the Bible is serious serious about the consequences of that barrier before God, both now and eternally. But Jesus' call is not simply, okay, I know you're, you're normal, but just live like this. Just do these things, and hopefully, hey, fingers crossed, you'll be okay in the end. You hopefully will have paid off that barrier, paid off that sin. That's not Jesus' message. You can't pay off that barrier. You can't sort out that sin. Rather, his message is, come to me. Come and be with me, because as you do, you are encountering God. Jesus said, if you've, seen the fa- if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. In other words, if you want to encounter the Father, come to me, Jesus says. That was his mission, not simply to make us better people, but through himself to reveal God to us and to deal with that great barrier between God and us. And when he gave up his life on the cross... He was dealing with that barrier, dealing with that sin. All the stuff we had done, all the disobedience against God, he paid for in his death on the cross. He took the place of us. Where we should have been, he took it. He took the punishment on the cross. And it was because of love, as we sang this morning. See his love nailed to a cross. And because he's dealt with it, we're now free. Free to know him, free to love him, free to know God personally, free to live a new life with him. See, that's what those followers, those closest followers saw. That's what the people being baptised here today have come to know. So I want to ask again this morning as we close, where do you see Jesus from today? Are you at the lakeside? Like the crowd? Perhaps just intrigued? Perhaps just looking? Were you at the mountainside? Hearing the call of Jesus to come to him? To live with him? And if you wouldn't call yourself a Christian here today, God is calling to you. He's calling you to his son, Jesus. Will you respond? 
Not simply, yes, I'll do a bit better. I'll try a bit better in life. But no, I'll come and receive forgiveness. I'll come and receive new life from this Jesus. I'll come and receive a fresh start with him today. Before we sing, and thank you so much for listening this morning, but before we sing, I want to just give an opportunity, perhaps if that's you, to perhaps just respond in prayer. Perhaps just to help you to make that, that, that response. Perhaps you've never done it before. I just want to lead you in a short prayer. And if that is you, if you're saying, I want to come to Jesus for the first time, or perhaps I want to come back to him. I know I've been away from him and I'm, I'm wanting him to come back. Just in your hearts, just, just echo what I pray. And then we're going to finish and we're going to sing a final song together. So let's just come before God in prayer. You can close your eyes if you want to. You can bow your head. You can, but let, let's come. It's about a heart thing, about coming to Jesus this morning. Lord Jesus, I, I am sorry for the things I've done wrong. I'm sorry for the way I have disobeyed you. I'm sorry for the way I've turned my back on you. I'm sorry for the way I've tried to live for myself and for other things instead of you. Perhaps just for a moment, just reflect on that if that's, if that's you. And I'm sorry. And I come to you. And I know that at the cross, you dealt with all that mess, with all that disobedience, with all that sin. You stood in my place and took the full punishment for that so that I wouldn't have to. Thank you. And I now come to you and know that I can receive forgiveness. And I do. I receive that forgiveness today. And I begin a new life with you as Lord. And I say, come and send your Holy Spirit to live in me so that he might remind me of how wonderful you are and come and help me to live the life that you've called me to live. A normal person called to an extraordinary life. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. If the band could come up, we're gonna, I'd like us to finish by just singing together and worshipping God and celebrating today, celebrating what God's been doing in the lives of these people being baptised. But I would encourage you, if you've perhaps prayed that prayer for the first time, why don't you speak to perhaps one of us you've seen at the front, perhaps a friend you've come with, perhaps someone you know. Why don't you tell them and so they can encourage you in your walk, new life with God. If you're still not there and you're thinking... Well, actually, either way, if you've done that or if you're still not there, why don't you pick up this book 
from our welcome table. It's called Why Jesus. It kind of helps a lot more in terms of understanding who Jesus is, 